Well, I've been reading a, a wonderful devotional lately, uh, and it's called While Shepherds Tend Their Flocks, and it's written by a seminary professor who decided to take a year off and spend time in the Middle East with actual shepherds. We know throughout the Bible, the Old and New Testament, shepherding is seen as preparation for leadership and, and a good shepherd. We hear, we hear Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd, right? And so he took a year off and he spent time with shepherds in the Middle East and he wrote this devotional. And it's just, it's very encouraging and it's, it's just a, a refreshing devotional. And, it, and it's really about, you know, shepherding is, the title of the message is leading means feeding. Leading means feeding. That we're all called in some way to, to lead, to shepherd, to care for, to direct others. Matthew 9, verse 35. It says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And then verse 36 says this. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' ministry was led by compassion for others, and I think ours should be as well. Amen? In fact, the word pastor derives from the Latin noun pastor, which means a shepherd. It's derived from the verb pastier, and it means to lead to pasture, to set to grazing, to cause to eat. To help people find nourishment and be fed. And this is not just a message for pastors or leaders. It's a message for all of us. Because in, in life, we, we lead and are led. If you're a parent, you're leading, you're caring for your children. If you're, if you're a boss, you're caring for your employees. But we're all called to be led in some ways and to lead in others. And so before I preach on this, and this wasn't my, my idea, I read this somewhere but we're all called to be a Barnabas. So Barnabas was what? An encourager. To, so we look around to those on the journey with us, and we're to be a Barnabas. We're to encourage everyone around us. And then we're called to pursue a Paul. It means find somebody a little bit further along than you. Find somebody you can learn from. Be teachable and pursue a Paul. And then to train up with Timothy, to find somebody who's maybe newer to the journey than you are. So be a Barnabas, pursue a Paul, train a Timothy. Helps us to be intentional in our relationships. Like who are the people I'm doing this with? Who are the people I'm leading and who are the people I'm following? And we should have that in our lives. And so it's not an easy task leading, is it? It costs a little bit, right? It can be frustrating, it can, it can just cause us to want to give up. And they say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So I think a video is worth like 10,000 words. So I'm going to show you a clip. And this is ministry in like 30 seconds. This clip is, is more than I can ever say. This is, this is ministry. So we'll watch this video clip. It's a lot of work. The shepherd, you know, he's got a... Doesn't just leave him there. He could leave him there, but now he's free. So that's a good thing. He's free and let's play that one more time in case you were looking down at your phone. All right. Gonna get him out. And there he is. That's ministry. Now, admittedly, I am sometimes the shepherd who's trying to, you know, get that sheep, you know, work hard. Jamie, help me out with this one, right? But more often than not, I'm the sheep. That Jesus frees again and again and again. And I'm like, all right, I'm free, Jesus. I got this right back into the ditch, right? Father, would you just bless your word? This word this morning, God, would you do with it what you will? Would you penetrate our hearts? Would you minister to us now? In Jesus' name, amen. I read this story about a pastor who was asked to stand up and testify to his faith. His honesty surprised a number of people. When he stood up and he looked at the group and he said, I'm a lay pastor of a small, not-growing church. 
I'm not ordained. I'm not seminary trained. I was asked to leave both Bible colleges I attended. I'm divorced and remarried. On any given day, I'm capable of being a jerk with my wife and family. I am terminally insecure, which causes me to compensate with bouts of arrogance. At times, people irritate me and I hide from them. I'm impulsive, which causes me to say things I shouldn't and make promises I cannot keep. I am inconsistent. So often I feel my walk with Christ is a stuttering, stumbling, bumbling attempt to follow him, but I follow. At times his presence is so real I can't stop the tears, and then without warning it seems I can't find him. Some days my faith is strong, impenetrable, immovable, and other days it is weak, pathetic, helpless, knocked about like a paper cup floating on the ocean in the middle of a hurricane. I've been a Christian for 45 years, and I am very familiar with the vocabulary of faith. I'm often often asked to give advice about matters of faith, but I'm admittedly still a mess, light years away from being able to say like Paul, follow me. I am 56 56 years old, and I am a flawed, clumsy, unstable follower of Jesus, but I follow I think we can all feel that way in our walk sometimes, can't we? I mean, you know, throughout the Bible, we can see people who had every reason to fail like failures. Like, if, if Jesus had, like, an executive coach, you know, before he was going to hire the 12, they would have been like, yeah, none of these guys are any good. Like, you do not want to hire any easy, you know, they're a mess. They're going to be a mess. But Jesus saw something. Jesus sees something in us. And we talked the past few weeks, we talked about King David and his great sin, and we talked about his past didn't keep him from God achieving in his life what God wanted to do. Your past and my past, Peter's past, who we're going to look at, is not going to keep God from doing what he wants to do if we're honest about where we are. Because, see, God is a God of restoration, but it doesn't just restore us from our past. He restores us to our future. It's a restoration that it's a reparation, it's a preparing, but it's also a preparation for mission. When I said this, this message, message just isn't for ministers, I kind of lied. It is for ministers, but guess what? You know, if you're a Christian, you're a minister. You're called to live out, to preach the gospel everywhere you go. And, and, and pastors aren't immune to this feeling of, feeling of like, man, I am so inadequate. I, am, I, I can't do anything. But you know what God looks like, God looks for? He looks for teachable more than capable. I will take teachable more than capable any day. Because you can teach teachable to be capable, but you can't necessarily make capable teachable. Amen. And so what God looks at, he doesn't just look at capable, he's the most capable. He looks at teachable. He looks at people who are honest. We said a couple weeks ago, the only difference between Saul and David was their repentance when they fell. They both made huge mistakes. And if you're here and you think God can't use you because of your mistakes, you are wrong. God will use you despite your mistakes. In fact, God will redeem those things to be used of him. I think we can all relate to at times feeling like we let God down. Nobody more than Peter. I mean, we always take the humanity out of scriptures, but Peter was like Jesus' best friend. And we're going to see Peter was like, I I don't know that guy. Him? Nah. Jesus? No, I don't. I don't know him. Real good friend, Peter. See, how many people know Jesus doesn't just save us from sin and death in ourselves, but he saves us to a better life. Everyone who's here in this room, who's trusted in Jesus, has been saved not only from our past, but to our future. He has a calling on our lives, and our past doesn't disqualify us if, if we give it to him. I've been saying the past few weeks with David, with the disciples, and now we'll see with Peter, failure isn't fatal. Maybe your failures are too big for you to overcome, but they're not for God. He, like that gracious shepherd, will continue to pull us out. But at some point, you've got to get sick of falling in the same. You know, at some point, you've got to go, ah, you know, maybe that path, maybe that's not the right one, right? And everybody needs to hear this message, but some of us really need to hear this message. You know what I mean? 
This word is always for everyone, but some of us, this is, God's got you here right now for this message, for this season, for this moment. And you determine, your heart determines whether you receive it, whether you reject it. He wants to forgive you. He wants to restore you, no matter how ugly your past may be. See, Peter's life was one of ups and downs. He could have wandered away like Judas, right? After his failure, he could have been like, God, this is it. I mean, my one shot, Jesus was my best friend. I was with him. I, you know, he trusted me. He loved me. And, and look what I did. I'm done. I'm done. And so maybe you're here and you'd be like, man, you know, I was close with Jesus. We, you know, I did ministry with Jesus. And now, you know, I, I walked away. I denied him. And I'm done now. Well, God doesn't say that. In fact, it's probably the enemy telling you that. God says, no, let's, let's, let's have a conversation. See, Peter boasted. Peter, Peter was like overzealous. You know, like some new Christians, how we get. Peter wasn't just like, I love you, Jesus. Peter's like, I love you more than anybody, Jesus. Like, Jesus, if everybody else deserted you, I would never desert you, Jesus. Because, you know, sometimes we're like that. Oh, my faith is stronger than everybody's. Oh, is it? I mean, I know those people leave you, but I wouldn't leave you. Okay. See, Jesus is being tried in an illegal court, thrown together at night. It's not a legit thing. And Peter could have been running around telling everybody, hey, what's happening? It's an injustice here. You know what Peter was doing? We see in the scriptures, he's warming himself by the fire. He's following close enough where he can, he can see Jesus, but just not be identified with him. Ouch. I mean, some of us, that's the way we do our faith, right? We, we come close enough to church and, and to things that we can see Jesus, but we don't want to be seen with Jesus. We want to separate those things. I got my church life, and then I got my work life, and then I get, you know, one life. There's one life. Jesus wants to be the center of every part of it. So Peter could have, Peter could have done something, and instead Peter's self-centered. So can you imagine the feelings of failure? Now it says in, in Mark's gospel, we're going to be reading from John 21, but it says in Mark's gospel that when they identified somebody, they recognized his accent. It's like, well, you were with Jesus, weren't you? No, no, I don't even know that guy. No, 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 I can tell by your accent. It's like somebody being like, you're from Boston, right? No, I just parked my car over here. No, no, no. No, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. No. Three times, not just once, not just twice, but three times. This Peter who said, oh, I love you more than anybody. If everybody abandons you, Jesus, I won't. If I won't, you can count on me. If everybody denies you, Jesus, I won't. You can count on me. I don't know that guy. No, but yeah, you, you sound just, no, I don't know him. Yeah, but we saw you with him. No, I don't, I don't know him. Can you imagine that feeling of failure that Peter felt? See, wherever you are today, the Lord wants to restore you. You are here not because somebody invited you. You're here not so you can check. Coming to church doesn't make you good. You are here because he wants to restore you, every single one of us. But what are we going to do with this word? When we're going to look at love leading to restoration, leading to preparation. Love leading to restoration, leading to preparation. That's the gospel. The gospel is we deserve punishment, and he gives us grace and mercy and a new life. That's what the gospel is. And we see the gospel again and again and again. You saw it in the life of David, and you're going to see it in the life of Peter, and we experience it in our own, in our own lives. No matter how ugly our past is, Jesus stands and invites us to come to him to find restoration, to find forgiveness, to find rest, to find peace, and to find joy. And we can believe that there's all kind of ways that we're going to experience that. And you know what every one of them are going to do? And us right, right back in that ditch. Sometimes it takes longer than others, but right back in the ditch. You think that sheep had any sense, any, any hope of getting himself out of that ditch on his own? Think no matter how long he wiggled, he would have got out? It begins, it begins in a moment of humility where we say, I am stuck. 
and I am helpless, and I need you, Jesus. No matter how accomplished you are, no matter how much of a mountaintop or in a valley you're in, we're all the same. There's nobody here that needs Jesus more or needs Jesus less. You've, you've heard Jamie and I preach before time and time again. God loves you right where you are. Right now, exactly where you are, he loves you. But he loves you so much. He loves me so much. He doesn't want to leave us right where we are. He can use your past for his glory. Some of the best preachers we've ever heard, some of the best you know, Christians in the Bible were some of the worst sinners. Look at Paul. But God washed him and restored him. And if we're going to be restored, it begins by being honest. And we're going to see that in the scriptures. But I want to ask this question before we delve into it is, where are you in your faith? And you don't have to answer that to me. But some of us are hearing, like, I'm good. Yeah, you know, I'm good. I mean, it can always be better. That's like sort of the, the, the catchphrase. Sometimes we say that, and we know that that's true for everybody. But sometimes it's an excuse. Like, well, you know, it could always be better. I don't, I don't want better. God doesn't want better. You know what he wants? Deeper. Because the, the good thing is, no matter how much you love Jesus, you can always fall deeper in love with him. People ask me, like, you know, what's the secret to your ministry? I'm like, ready? Here's my secret. Ready? I love Jesus more than anything in the world. He rescued me, and he rescues me time and time again, and I am in love with Jesus. And I love people. And I want everybody to know. And that's it. Everything stems from that. The rest of it we figure out. There's no strategy. There's a little bit of structure, but I don't know. I surround myself with people who love Jesus too, and that's it. And together we bumble and we stumble and we fall. And sometimes we're the guy on the mat that's like, hey, I need to get to Jesus, but I can't get there. And four people come and we pick up the mat and we bring him to Jesus. And sometimes I'm holding the mat and other times I'm the guy on the mat. But praise God that the church is those four people that bring people to Jesus. So the first thing we need to do is admit where we are. John 21, you can turn there. John chapter 21, and it starts off and it says this. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. Now, again, so often in Scripture, we, kinda, we just read it, we take the, the humanity out of it, and so they're discouraged. They thought they were going to be like in this epic movement, like the kingdom of God, and they're going to have like a special place, and they're tight with Jesus, and, you know, he's going to, you know, change their world and, and change the, you know, they're going to be free from Roman rule, and everything's going to be better. Like everything, they're excited, like, hey, this Jesus thing, I'm, I'm all about this Jesus, you know, and then suddenly like, he's crucified. Like that wasn't part of the plan. I mean, what did we sign up for? This was Because everything's great when we look at our relationship with Jesus and all that it's going to do for us. And then when something happens, we can't quite figure out, we're like, well, that wasn't. And so that's where they are. They're discouraged and they're, they're confused and maybe they're a little fearful. And so they're like, we fish, let's, let's go fish. Let's go back to what we always know. I mean, I guess this, I guess this new thing's not going to pan out. At least we can fish. I mean, that's what's happening here. This wasn't just like, hey, there's going to be a day out fishing, relax. Like, that wasn't it. This was a little downcast. This was a little, uh, you guys, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go fishing. Yeah, I will join you. This Jesus, I don't know. I mean, they lost their friend. So Peter goes back to his old stomping grounds, and he does what he does best. And Peter fished like many of you do, because in verse 3 it said, so they went out and got into the boat, and they caught nothing. <laughs> Just kidding. In the first service, I pick on Dylan, so. No. In verse 5, it says, he called out to them, friends, haven't you have any fish? No, they answered. And then he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now this is kind of important too because sometimes we think we're so good at doing what we do that nobody can tell us. 
Like, hey, hey, thanks, buddy. Thanks to the peanut gallery, your advice. Appreciate that. We're fishermen. We fish. This is what we do. You stay there, do whatever you're doing, your little campfire, that's good. No. We, we got this. But, like, yeah, what's it going to hurt? See, sometimes we're so, you know, right away, we, we're the extra and everything. No, thanks for freeing me from the, the ditch. I got this. Thanks, so, buddy. Thanks. I got, you set me free. I'm good. Right back into the ditch. Like, they hadn't caught anything. What did they have to lose? What, were they going to not catch anything again? The only thing that would have gotten their way would have been their pride, right? But it didn't. And they were open. And they were teachable. And it says when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And then in verse 7, it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And I love this part. I, I love this part. I love Peter. I, I, I mean, for all his passion, and for so many times he, he just did things, and you're like, Peter, bad move. I love this. This is a beautiful expression of Peter. Because Peter knew he had denied Jesus. Like, think about this. Like, think about you, you were talking all kind of smack about one of your closest friends, and your other friend told that friend. And then you were going to see that friend. What would you do? You'd be like, uh, oh, they're here. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak out. You know, I'm going to. You think Peter would have been like, ooh, that's Jesus. Hey, guys, you know what? I'm gonna, I'll take care of the fish. I'm going to load the truck. And so you guys think he would have hid. I mean, this is his best friend. He denied he even knew him. Jesus knows that. You think Peter would have been like, this is not, this is. But no, you know what Peter does? See, this is the difference. You can know about somebody or you can, you can know them. You can be in love with them. And Peter wanted to get to Jesus so badly. Peter loved Jesus so much that Peter didn't even, Peter didn't be like, all right, guys, row, let's, we got to get to the shore. Peter just like put his, you know, put his, dove right in, just sat swimming to him. Didn't even think. It wasn't, wasn't led by thought. It was led by emotion. Like, I, I got to get to Jesus no matter what. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how foolish I am. I know Jesus. I know how much he loves me. I know much, how much I love him, and I got to get to Jesus. Oh, that would, that would be our response. Maybe when we do something stupid, that would be such in a rush to get into the presence of Jesus that it doesn't matter. We throw off all all appropriateness, and come to the altar. And that's what Peter did. He says the other disciples followed in the boat. <laughs> All right, Peter, that's cool. We'll see you there in a minute. They were on about 100 yards from the shore, Scripture says. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. There's some similarities there between Peter's first calling to follow Jesus in this account. Both times, they were on the Sea of Galilee. Both times, Jesus couldn't catch a thing. Both times, Peter, Jesus told Peter to cast a net on the other side. Because he, here's, what, here's what Jesus does. Here's what God does in our lives. Sometimes he brings us back to the same place, to the same circumstance, to the same ditch, and he gets us out of it, and he goes, okay, now what this time? And so he's going to restore Peter, and he brings Peter right back to where he had been. Okay, okay, Peter, let, let's try this again. And see, Jesus' exchanges are always, always very thoughtful. They're always very profound. The more you dig into the exchanges, the more depth and richness you see. Jesus doesn't waste words. And so in John chapter 21, feeling like, I mean, Peter could have been like, all right, here it comes. And it says, you know, they were by the fire. They had had a meal. So, you know, they're sitting down. Everybody's warm now. Peter's dried up. They're having some fish. And Jesus starts the conversation. And Peter must have been like, all right, here it is. I'm going to get that harsh rebuke. I'm going to get that Peter. Seriously. I mean, you know, how many times? I mean, you walked with me. Like, we've dealt with this before, Peter. You know what? You're fired. Nope. No, that would have been reasonable. I mean, that would have been fair. That would have been just and equitable. But we have a God who's filled with love and grace and mercy. 
And so he starts this conversation with Peter. Verse 15, John 21, 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And we're going to go through this, and I'm going to break it apart for you. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, take care of my sheep. This third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, Jesus knew he was going to depart, and Jesus knew that he wanted Peter to be a leader in the church, and he knew there were some things that they had to work out. That he wanted, to, he wanted to continue his ministry through Peter, but there were some things he had to instill in Peter, some profound truths he had to impart. And the first is that Peter's got to give his own life. See, we've said before the gospel's free, but it's not cheap. It is a life for a life. Jesus gave his life, and in return, he asked you to give him yours. So you want to be effective in ministry? The equation is effectiveness is equal then or greater to surrender. That's the, if you're mathematical, that's it, right? You want to be effective? Surrender. I want to do more for God? Surrender more. It's not, it's not just your effort. It's your surrender. And so that's what Jesus is saying. The first thing is, Peter, your life is not your own. Do we know that? Do we know, you and I, that we've been bought at a price? And here's the thing. Like, when we live for Jesus, when we give him our life, we've gained everything, we've lost nothing. Because Yahweh and my way is going to keep sending us right in the ditch. And his way, it's abundant life. It's fruitful life. That's the truth. If there's a God, and he created us, and he loves us, and that love is proven by sending his son to the cross, then Paul said, how could that God withhold anything from you? How could you think he doesn't want what's best for you? So when you give your life to him, you don't lose, you gain everything. It's just the enemy's got us convinced that it's, it's the first lie in the garden, that somehow God was withholding, that everything they needed and somehow, and we said before, and I don't want to preach it again, but we said before that before there was disobedience, there was discontentment and distrust. Before they were disobedient, they were discontent and they had distrust. So if you have discontentment in your life with Jesus and you distrust him, then you're open to all kinds of stuff and you'll be in the ditch for years and years and years. Give your own life. Feed his lambs, tend his sheep, and feed his sheep. And we're going to get through half of this. This is going to be part one. Because there's a lot here, and I don't want to rush through it. But in verse 15, we read, When they had finished eating, Jesus, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Two things I want you to note, because there's a lot here. The first is, he doesn't call him Peter anymore. Now he calls him Simon, son of John. And there's a name change. It's intentional. There's nothing that's not intentional. He backs away in this moment from that rock, that dependable rock. And then he asks the question, you love me more than these. It's easy to miss. But what Jesus is saying, the way he's starting the conversation is, remember, when it wasn't enough for you to say you loved me, but you had to make sure that I knew that you loved me more than anybody else. Jesus is saying, Peter, are you still going to make that same boastful claim? Are you still going to say that you love me more than anybody else? Because if I asked you, you'd be like, yeah, I love God. But then you'd say you love Netflix and you love ice cream too. But do you really love God? Do you really love him more than anything else in your life? Is he really on the throne of your heart or do you just love him like you love him, like you love everything else? Because we throw that word around. I love that song. I love that car. See, in the Greek, there's different words for love. In the Greek, there's, there's at least three words. One is eros, where we come from erotic love. Then there's phileo, which is a brotherly love, an affection like Philadelphia. And then there's agape. That's an unconditional love. That's the perfect love. That's the love by which we're called to love God and others. It's an impossibility without him. That's the way God loves us. So what's lost in the English is that when Jesus says, do you love me? 
He's saying, Peter, do you agape love me? Peter, do you unconditionally love me? Do you put me before anything? And what we don't see in the English is that when Peter responds, he says, I phileo you. So it's like Jesus going, Peter, am I 100% number one in your life? And Peter goes, I like you, Jesus. Now, we think that would be the wrong answer, but it's the honest answer. See, in order for us to be restored, we have to be honest about where we are in our faith. And so the right answer is not the answer that he gave last time, which is, of course I agape love you. I agape love you more than anybody else. And so when Jesus asks the question, the right answer is that he's honest and says, you know, it's kind of like a version of I believe, help my unbelief. I love you, Lord. I mean, and if you're here, and, and, and this, you know, me, all of us, and if, if Jesus asks the question, do you love me? We can quickly say, yeah, I do. I can be like, I want to, but you know, to be honest, some things I love more right now. Okay. You think he doesn't know that? And he'll meet us. He'll meet us in that place. But if we're, if we're not honest, that pride, that's the only thing that's going to get in the way of spiritual growth. At the end of the day, it's not our lack of ability to spiritually grow. It's our pride. It's our lack of dependency on him. And so Peter answers the questions correctly. Not that his love was superior to anyone else's. That was a little defective. That it could use a little shoring up. See, these same few weeks, this theme of humility and repentance and trust. Look, here's the thing. Peter was sure he would never do the thing he did. I would never deny deny you, Jesus. I would never abandon you, Jesus. I love you more than anybody. And we've all said those things, you know, early on where we can be overzealous and we can look at other people and maybe they sin differently and maybe we, we have an area where we're not particularly vulnerable and we think, well, I would never do what they did until we do. Well, we ought to be humble. You know, we do church too often, not all of us all the time, but some of us some of the time. We stand on the sidelines and we watch the sheep without a shepherd, the sheep that Jesus felt compassion for, and we watch him in the ditch and we, we ridicule him. Look at that sheep. What is an idiot? Like, we, we, we ridicule people in the world for behaving like people in the world when Jesus said, there's sheep without a shepherd. I have compassion for him. Do we have compassion for him or do we just criticize? Do we label? Do we marginalize? Sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Sometimes we do. We're supposed to be the ones pulling the sheep out of the ditch, not standing on the sidelines complaining that sheep keep, sheep keep doing what sheep do. David thought he would never commit adultery. Solomon thought he would never get caught up in idolatry. And Peter thought he would never deny Jesus. Fill in the blanks. I thought a lot of things. Before I was an addict, I, I, because the particular drugs I did didn't lead me to a physical dependency, I thought I could never be an addict until I was. You know what happened? You know what happened? When the people around me, I was an elder in the church. And for two years, I lied to the whole team, and they didn't know. And you know what they could have said? They could have said, you know, we're going to pray for you. Go get some help. And they could have cast me aside. That would have been what a lot of churches do. The remarkable thing, and this was, you know, years ago, they said, we don't know much about addiction. We don't even know how to help this guy. And one guy said, well, I know a guy who does prison ministry, and he used to be a drug addict and Rob Banks, and he would know. And so they brought him in, and they met with him, and they prayed with him, and they convinced him to meet with me. And I was high when I met with him. I'll, sure, I'll meet with the guy, you know. Still a mess. Still feeling like I have no hope. But they loved me. And they said, you know, we don't, we don't even know how to do this, but we're going to walk with you and the family because we love you. They were the church. It's sad that that seems so remarkable when that's just doing what we're supposed to do. Eventually that love turned into you, you need treatment, you need a program. But we're not going to abandon you. We're going to help you pick up your mat and we're going to bring you to Jesus. 
And you know what? That brought me to the place where now, when I mess up myself, I'm jumping out in the water like Peter, and I'm trying to get to Jesus as quick as I can, because I know he's my only hope. And he's your only hope. And it's okay to admit that. The church is not a nice place with perfect people. It's not. And if it was, the minute you or I walked through the doors, it wouldn't be anymore. It is a messy, but beautiful place. Filled with people in need of grace and mercy and love. And I am so grateful that we're that kind of place. I am so grateful that week after week, I see faces that are for the first time or for two or three times. And if you're here and you're new, praise God. He loves you and we love you and we're glad you're here. And I don't care what your yesterday looked like. We want to help you find a better tomorrow. Amen? Amen? We come here to help each other grow in faith, to grow closer to Jesus and each other. And like Pastor Jamie and I continue to say, Pastor Sam, we want to love people back to life with the love of Jesus. That is it. And that is messy. And it's frustrating. And people are going to keep jumping back into the ditch. But we got to remember that not only were we, but we still are that same sheep sometimes. And we all need each other. I need you. You need me. But we got to be honest. Verse 15, feed my lambs. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus didn't say, okay. He said, all right, well, as a result of that love, we're going to turn that into action. Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Jesus wants us to remember to feed his lambs. Peter says, I love you. And he says, okay, here's your second chance, Peter. I'm going to restore you, but I'm just not going to restore you and say, you're forgiven. I'm going to say, here's your mission, We've repaired this reparation, but here's your mission. Here's the preparation. You say you love me? Okay. Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. What does it mean to feed his lambs? The Greek word here, feed, means to fodder or to keep. The word is bosco. It means one of Peter's responsibility is to nourish and keep the lambs protected for the evils in the world. See, lambs are infant sheep. They're baby Christians. And Peter is to provide them spiritual nourishment, feed them until they learn how to feed themselves, protect them from the things that, that will harm them. Don't just look at them and say, you dumb sheep, you keep falling in the ditch. Help them out and then say, okay, next time we're going to try to walk this way and we're going to avoid the ditch. And here's what I learned by falling in the ditch 50 times. Not from a place of arrogance or a condescension, but a place of compassion and understanding. See, so often we, we neglect young believers, especially evangelicals. We put so much focus on getting people to say the prayer for Jesus. Amen. I get it. Like, yes. And then we're like, yeah, I led 50 people to Jesus. Okay, when's the last time you talked to any of them, though? And then we wonder why, you know, spiritual stillborns get created. I led 50 people to Jesus. I have those feathers in my cap. Well, the Bible doesn't just say baptize them in the name of the Father. It says that, but it says teaching them all I have commanded you. It says make disciples. See, he makes the converts. That feather in your cap, take it out. It says, it says feather. You got none. No feathers. Make disciples. But we, we get everybody to pray, you know, Believe in their heart, confess their mouth, that's the beginning. That's not the end. We act like that's the end of the journey. All right, there you go. Yeah, you accepted Jesus. You won. Journey's over. And then people get discouraged because they're trying to figure it out on their own and nobody's walking with them and we just left them. You know why? Because it's hard to keep pulling sheep out of the ditch. It's easy to go, I'll pray for you. Oh, hey, next time walk that way. But, you know, you got, you've got to figure it out for yourself. No. No, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to patiently and lovingly walk with people. We're not called to just get people to pray a prayer and then leave them alone to figure it out for themselves. See, we feel an instant feeling of gratification when we're used of God. But discipling people, that's tough. That's uncomfortable. That's messy. 
But you know what? I wouldn't be here if people didn't do that. A lot of you wouldn't be here if people didn't do that. Wasn't that somebody just told me the truth? It was that they lived out the truth that I could see. And I realized that this wasn't just a, a better thing to know. This was a better way to be. That's why early Christians, they used to call it the way. It's the way. It's not a way among many ways. It's the way. Great Commission tells us to baptize people, but it doesn't stop there. It tells us to teach people all the things Christ commanded us. And then he says, well, I'm with you. You're like, oh, I don't know, Pastor Brian. I don't know if I can do that. You know how many times people call? And it's, it, look, it's good. I get it. And people are like, listen, I've been meeting with this guy. You know, he's a real mess. I've been meeting with him. Like, I've known him for 15 years and talk to him. It's like, well, you have 15 years of history. <laughs> yeah, how about if I talk to you and then you talk to him, right? I mean, better model. And I get it. And I'm not saying I'm not, we're not available. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I would much rather equip you to make disciples than we can't, we can't do it, right? We can't do it all. Tend to sheep, verse 16. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Third thing Jesus wants to remember is to tend to sheep. Jesus said, in order for you to effectively serve me, you must tend my sheep. The word is poimano. It means to feed, to shepherd, to supervise. Leading is feeding, to oversee, to protect, to guide. It talks about how we, we ought to know that certain things are bad for sheep, and, and a shepherd knows what, what to protect sheep from, like from the external things that can hurt them, and from their own choices, Right? from their own tendency to jump in the ditch. We all need Jesus. Pastors haven't arrived. And I have a confession to make, and I'll tell it to you. Just don't tell anybody else, okay? It'll be our secret. I'm like a type A, task-oriented, 110% kind of a guy. I give all that I can, and, mo and the reason really is because most of my life I didn't. Most of my life I was like, if I can not study and get a B, why do I want to study and get an A? Like I was, you know. So for the first time in my life, I want to give 110% to Jesus. And so I am get it done, task-oriented type A. And sometimes that can cloud my judgment. And I, I can focus on the end result and not so much the process. I had a, a guy in Teen Challenge, a friend of mine once. And like I, yeah, I was the worst Teen Challenge guy ever. I was like the most arrogant. Like I was, you know, really bad. So I said to the guy, he told me to do something once, and I said, I'll tell you what, buddy. <laughs> Probably said exactly like that. I said, here's, here's my, so if you tell me to do something and it's a good idea, I'll do it because it's a good idea and it makes sense. If you tell me to do something and it's a bad idea but I like you, I'll do it just because I like you. But if I don't like you and it's a bad idea, I'm not going to do it. And I kind of mic dropped. Like I was like, huh? Pretty good, right? And he was like, okay. All right, hear me out, though. It's like God can do anything, right? Yeah. So the end result, he can do that any way he wants. Yeah? What if it was the process that he has you in and not the end result? Oh, the first service, Bernice, Bernice said, ouch, real loud. See, Jamie and I, thank God, we've been friends for 30 years, and, and sometimes he'll come in my office, and he'll be like, whenever a conversation starts with, bro, you know I love you, he means you're in trouble. <laughs> like, shut the door. <laughs> bro, you know I love you, right? <laughs> Uh-oh. Look, I know you're hot, man. I know you, you, know, you want everybody. He's like, but sometimes, the, you know, you come across your tone or, you know, your posture. Like, we get it. But sometimes, man... You're, you're, you know, you can, you can come across and, and you can seem a little less than shepherding. Now, I'll tell you that. You know why? Because where I'm weak, he's going to be strong. Amen? And I'm not going to pretend that I got it all figured out. And I'm not going to pretend I, I don't need to grow because I do. And thank God that I'm, I'm not looking at, well, I'm the lead pastor and Jamie. No, I'm looking at it as like I want to be teachable. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And so we can make excuses why we don't want to receive, or we can receive and say, Lord, show me these things. Because we all have them. It's easy to have blind spots. In fact, in another episode of The Holy Spirit is in Charge, I called Jane. We don't really talk about, we're busy. We don't talk about, I have some pastor friends that are like, I know my sermon for a year out. It's like, 
dude, you could be, what if the world ends like three months from now and then you just prepare all that for nothing, like, right? I'm like, we do like a week at a time. The Lord kind of works with that. I'm not, you know, anybody's process is their process, but, and so it's just, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's just the spirit, but how often God weaves the thread of continuity in our, you know, seeming disconnection. And so I called Jamie. I'm like, yeah, I'm reading this devotional. It's just so encouraging. And, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, my, my heart and just, you know, trying to lead well and all this stuff. And he's like, bro, I got to put you on FaceTime. I'm like, all right. He's like, I have to show you. This is ridiculous. He puts you on FaceTime and he's on his computer. He's typing up this, this document, Principles of Being a Good Shepherd. I mean, at this point, we're just like, thank you that you're in charge, Lord, because you couldn't write this. I mean, you can be like, I don't believe that story. I, listen, I get it. I don't, you know, I wouldn't believe it either if it wasn't true. And so I'm going to start reading through some of these. And, and then this is where we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of end here because there's a lot here. And I want us to have a, a week, some time to reflect and pray and be honest about where we are with Jesus. And we'll come back next week and we'll highlight these, these few things again. And then we'll continue with the second part. But I just want to read, and it's from the book, The Way of the Shepherd, and it's Principles of Being a Good Shepherd. And I want to just get through a few of these. And the first one is know the condition of your flock. And this first one really got me. Because it says, follow the status of the people as well as the status of the work. Because you know what it's so easy to do, whether you're in business or whether you're in church, is to gauge people in terms of their productivity, right? What are you getting done? And neglecting what might be going on. See, they have all these like crazy business books now, and they're finding things like, if you're honest and you treat people well, you'll have a better business. If you have a good reputation, you'll have a better business. If you don't try to make a quick buck, but you establish long-term relationships, you'll have a better business. Thank you for your worldly wisdom. Like, yeah. Yeah, if you treat people like people, and they know you care about them, you know what? They're going to be more effective, even in a pragmatic sense. Yes. Thank you. You know, and I remember having a, a, a teacher say this to me once. She said, you know the best way to get a student to excel? Tell them how much promise they have and how good they are and how much potential they have and how much you love them. You know the best way to get somebody to give up? Criticize them constantly. I mean, look, many of you have been criticized your whole life. Been told this or that, lies. You know what the Bible says? If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And Jesus promises to work in through us until the day he comes. He's going to do it. Know this condition of your flock. Get to know the flock one sheep at a time. I love that. I have three different kids. They're all very different. They all have very different personalities. What one responds to, the other doesn't. What works with one doesn't work with the other. We're individuals. We're unique our management, leadership, shepherding style needs to adjust. We're not dealing with robots. We need to know people. Engage them on a regular basis. Keep your eyes and ears open. Question, follow through. Discover the shape of your sheep. Make sure they're in the right fold. Help your sheep identify with you. Build trust. Model authenticity and integrity and compassion. Relentlessly communicate values and mission. Great leadership is not professional, it is personal. Make your pasture a safe place. Keep people informed. Reassure them by staying visible. Infuse every position with importance. Regularly rotate the sheep to fresh pastures. Okay, guys, we're going on a field trip. I told the staff, I'm like, I'm not telling you anything other than carve out five hours, we're leaving. And then we'll go. We're going to do an escape room. Don't tell them that's a secret. We're going to go do The staff of direction, know where you're going. Get out in front. Keep your flock on the move. When directing, use persuasion rather than coercion. I'm going to have the worship team come up now. 
Give people freedom of movement, but make sure they know, they know where the fence line is. Guidelines are for protection. The Lord gives us guidelines and instruction not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. We give our, our children, we give them guidelines. Why? Because we love them. So give people freedom, but make sure, hey, these are the guidelines. If you go outside that, you're going to keep falling in the ditch. And I love you, and you know what? I'll keep, I'll keep pulling you out, but at some point we're both going to get tired. And it would be easier if we could help each other walk a different way. And then know that the rod of, the rod of correction is to protect, correct, and inspect. Protect, stand in the gap, and fight for your sheep. Correct, approach discipline as teaching, and inspect, regularly inquire about people's progress and how they're doing. Great leadership is a lifestyle, not a technique. And so most of all, have a heart for your sheep. I want to stand. I want to remind you that the altars are open. And I just want to pray. And I would ask that each of us, that we're honest with that question Jesus asked, do you love me? And to take a look at those things in our lives that we maybe, honestly, we've loved those things more. And he knows anyway. He didn't ask Peter that question because he didn't know the answer. He asked Peter that question to give Peter a chance to be honest so he could restore him, so he could give him a mission. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're a God of restoration, that you don't let yesterday disqualify us from tomorrow. Father, meet us here in this place, God. We thank you for your word, the power in your word, God. We thank you for your spirit. We pray that in this coming week that you seal this word in our hearts, that you do surgery, God, and that we be open to say, Lord, have your way. Take from us the things you want to take so you can give to us the things you want to give. God, we love you, and we are so grateful for your grace and mercy. We're so grateful that you pull us out of the ditch again and again and again, God. And I pray that we would come to this altar, that we would make our peace, that we would say, I believe, help my unbelief. I love you. Help me to love you more. And that you'd begin to work in us. You continue to work through us. We love you, Jesus.